and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told in the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred, and that great theme music is from Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Uh, well, today we are taking a fairly dark twinge to the show. Um, we're going to dub today's episode the Halloween in July episode. That name, of course, stolen from the short story written by Kevin Anderson, a guy you've uh, heard, no doubt heard plenty of if you've listened to either the Drabblecast or the Doonstief Audio Magazine podcast. If you haven't heard of either of those two shows or if you haven't heard of Kevin Anderson, well, hot damn, get your ears over there. Um, I'll have some links in the uh, write-up on RadioDrumAndRival.com where to find it. Um, great, great audio um, and listening and writing there. Anyways, what I mean by Halloween in July is that we're going to revisit the darkly realized Tale of Terror, God of the Razor, uh, produced by AMFM Theater in the Gristmill series. The tale was penned by Joe R. Lansdale, a uh, guy I had a chance to talk to both last year and more recently in the last couple weeks. Um, Joe now has two new books out, Vanilla Ride, a new Happen Leonard novel, and Sanctified and Chicken Fried, his latest collection of short stories. Um, so we'll talk to Joe in the second part of the show, but for now, enjoy the piece God of the Razor. At the moment of our death, we are set upon the path that leads us to our final destination. For some, this path leads into the light. But for the wretched souls who descend down into the darkness, their path leads them here, the gristmill. Welcome to the Gristmill. Welcome to the place of final disposition of the human soul. A place God-forsaken by design. The place at the end of the tunnel where there is no light. From the dawn of time, man has walked side by side with the many gods he has created. From Rome to Greece to Egypt, man created a large array of very specialized gods. But their time is over now. Or is it? We're about to find out in The God of the Razor. I am Inspector 12, and this is The Gristmill. To me, it was just another antiques buying trip. I've made a hundred of them. I drove out here to the house about eight. The moon was so bright I could see every detail. Clear and crisp and terrible. No, Joni. Uh, let's take care of that on Friday, okay? <laughs> Sorry. I almost dropped the phone getting out of the car. Okay. Yeah, I'm going back to the hotel right after I check this place out. Oh, it's old. And ugly. Really ugly. Yeah, sort of gothic, sort of plantation. It's like that painting over Edna's fireplace. No, no, I can see it fine. The moon is full, mostly. There's some clouds, but it's, it's bright enough. 
No, doesn't uh, doesn't look quite square though. Must have shifted sometime. Funny angles. I know, Joni. I hope this is worth it too. Now, I've found some great antiques in places like this before. No, it looks boarded up. Old man Klein gave me a key, but he says he hasn't been in here in like 20 years. A lot could happen in... Wait, just a second. The moon just went under a cloud. Hang on, I gotta, I gotta use my flashlight to see the lock. Okay, I'm in. Really dark. Oh, the moon's back. I can see a bit. Jeez. Looks like a wet in here sometime. The wallpaper's hanging off the walls like petals and... Yeah, high ceilings. Paper's almost touching the floor. Oh, there's one of those big curvy staircases. No, I'm not going up there. I can see... The, the rail's broken. Oh, crap. I just watched... Just walked into a bunch of cobwebs. <laughs> Got them in my mouth. No, there's, there's nothing in here. I'm just gonna look in the rooms. Oh man, it's a basement. Oh, really stinky, cold basement. It smells like somebody turned off the electricity and left the freezer open. I don't know yet. No, no, I went to a lot of trouble to get the key and drive out here. I've at least got to look around. I know it's a long shot. Don't worry, the batteries are fine. The flashlight is fine. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need both hands, so I'm gonna have to hang up now. Yeah, 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 tomorrow. Yeah, I'm meeting the buyer in the, in, no, at nine. Okay, all right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Hope these steps are okay. Feels like they'll hold. Boy, this looks like more of a, a root cellar than a basement. Floor's too close to the ceiling. I'm gonna have to bend over to... Oh, crap, it's not a floor. Too shiny. It's water. Filthy, too. No telling how deep it is. It might be six or seven feet. What? Oh God, it's a rat! A swimming rat. Bad enough there's water everywhere, but there's rats too? Make me puke. Nothing down here. There goes the moon again, damn clouds. Gives me the creeps. Basements aren't worth a damn this part of the country. Jeez! <laughs> you scared me. There must have been some Yankees come down here and built this. Someone didn't know about the water table, weather and all. I didn't know anyone else was here. Uh, my name is Richards. Klein sends you? Don't know a Klein. He owns the place. He loaned me the key. Jeez. Well, when I first looked up, I, I thought you were a big guy wearing a crazy hat, but... It must have been the moon shadows playing tricks on me. I don't know, I guess I'm just Did a little bit... Did you know the moon is behind a cloud? Yeah, it, it got dark down here and, and that... A cloud across the moon can change the entire face of the night. Changes the way some people change their clothes. 
The way women change their hair. Uh, it's, it is kind of spooky. You know, I, I couldn't shave this morning. Beg your pardon? When I tried to put a blade in my razor, I saw that it had an eye on it. And it was blinking at me very fast. Like this. Oh, you can't see from down there, can you? Uh, no, but uh, I could come up. Well, it was very fast. I dropped it, and it slid along the sink, dove off on the floor, crawled up to the side of the bathtub, and got in the soap dish. It closed its eye then, but it started mewing. Reminded me of a kitten. Yeah, well, <laughs> sounds like quite a dream. I knew what it wanted, of course. What it always wants. What all the sharp things want. Knowing what it wanted made me sick and I threw up in the toilet. Vomited up a razor blade. You're so fat it might have been pregnant. His eye was blinking at me as I flushed it. When it's gone, the blade in the soap dish started to sing, high and silly-like. The blade I vomited. I know how it got inside me. There's a little red mark right there on my throat this morning, and it was starting to scab over. One or two of them always find a way in. Sometimes a nail gets in me. I used to come in through the soles of my feet while I slept, and I stopped that pretty good by wearing my shoes to bed. It really doesn't matter how hard I try to trick them. They always win out in the end. Always. Look, if you don't mind letting me up the stairs, I I'll just get going. I I've got to get started back. Hey! Watch out! Stairs are in bad shape. In a lot of work. Rebuild entirely be the way to go. I think we ought to go back upstairs before something happens. And maybe it's going to cloud up and rain. What do you think? Will it rain tonight? I don't know. We could check the weather. I got a radio in the car. There's a lot of dark clouds floating about. Maybe they're rain clouds. Did I tell you about the God of the Razor? I really meant to. He rules the sharp things. He's the God of those that live by the blade. He's my friend Donnie's God. Do you know he was Jack the Ripper's God? Uh, no. Here. Look here. Oh my God. I got this razor from Donnie. He got it in an old shop somewhere. Gladewater, I think. God of the razor came with it. God of the razor used to live inside Donnie's head. You see, Jackie? It's bigger than most stray razors, even. It comes from a barber kit, and the kid originally came from England. Says so in case. Look at the handle on this baby. Ivory. With a lot of little designs and symbols carved into it. I looked the symbols up. Geometric patterns used for calling up a demon. You know what else? What, Donnie? Jack the Rebel wasn't no surgeon. He was a barber. I know, because when I got the razor, I started having these visions. Jack the Ripper, God of the Razor, came to talk to me. They explained what the Razor was for. They can talk to me because I tried to shave with the Razor and cut myself. 
The blood on the blade and these symbols on the handle, they opened the gate. Opened it so far that the god of the razor could come and live inside my head. God of the razor, he lives inside my head. The Ripper told Donnie that the metal on the blade goes all the way back to a sacrificial altar the Druids used. See here? No, it's darker here. I'll just come up. Yeah, no, it's fine. That cloud is very dark. Slow moving. I sort of bet on rain. Did I ask you if you thought it rained tonight? Look, um, mister, how about if we go back upstairs now? I've got a coffee thermos in my car. Maybe we could just After Donnie had the visions, we just talked and talked about this house. We used to play here when we was kids. Had the boards in the back window rigged so they'd slide like a trapdoor. They're still that way. Donnie used to say this house had angles that sharpened the dull edges of your mind. I know what he means now. It's comfortable, don't you think? Donnie said the angles were honed best during the full moon. I didn't know what he was talking about then. I didn't understand about the sacrifices. Maybe you know about them? Sacrifices? What do you mean, sacrifices? I've been all over the papers and on TV. The decapitator, they call him. Oh, God. He's Donnie doing it. And from the way he started acting, talking about the God of the Razor, Jack the Ripper, this old house and its angles, I got suspicious. I got so he wouldn't even come around near during a full moon. And when the moon started waning, he's different. Peaceful. I followed him a few times. Didn't have any luck. He drove the safe way, left his car there, and walked. As quick and sneaky as a cat. He lose me right off. But then I got to figuring him talking about this old house and all. And one full moon, I came here and waited for him. And he showed up. Hell, join others. Seven of you now. Donnie? Donnie? Jackie! What are you doing here? I'm doing a sacrifice. I'm sorry, Donnie. No, I'm sorry, Jackie. This is like old South American Indians used to do. Toss some bodies and stuff in sacrificial pools. I don't want to, but I'm gonna have to cut you. Jeez, Donnie, what's the matter? You don't look right. Come on, Donnie, please stay away. I heard a scream. Maybe it was me. But he didn't cut me again. It was like the rest of them was having a standoff with a razor in his hand. He stood up, walking stiff as one of those wind-up toy soldiers. He went back down the stairs. Stood about where you are now. Looked up at me, and he drew that razor straight across his throat so hard and deep he damn near cut his head off. He fell back in the water there. Sucked like an anvil. I tried to get him out of there, but he was gone. Like he'd never been.
Come on, you're scaring the crap out of me here. Eraser had landed on the last step. His lying right there, about where your foot is. And I could hear it. Hear it sucking up Donnie's blood like a kid sucking the sweet out of a sucker. What is your point? All right, I'm coming Pretty up soon and... there wasn't a drop of blood on it. I picked it up. So shiny. So damn shiny. I came upstairs. And I passed out on the floor. Loss of blood, I guess. Okay, look. I'm coming back upstairs now. Just get out of the way. It stinks down here. And there's rats! Donnie told me not to cut the rats. Don't cut the rats. They're friends. At first, I thought I was dreaming. Ain't no dream, Jackie boy. Or maybe delirious. Because I was lying at the end of this dark alley between these trash cans with my back against the wall. Their legs sticking out of the trash cans like busted store mannequins. I ain't no dumbass. Look closer. And there were razor blades and nails sticking out of the soles of the feet. And blood was running down the ankles and legs. And then I heard a noise like someone trying to dribble a flat basketball. I got somebody I want. And there he was, tall and black, not Negro, but black, like obsidian rock, had eyes like smashed windshield glass, and teeth like polished stick pins. Was wearing a top hat with his shiny band made out of chrome razor blades, and that noise? Know what that was? No. He had these tiny, tiny feet, and they were fitted right into the mouths of these human heads. One of the heads was a woman's, and it dragged long black hair behind it when the god walked. Kept telling myself to wake up. The god sat down on this chair made of leg bones. And he crossed his legs and dangled one of those ragged head shoes in my face. Next thing he does is whip this ventriloquist dummy out of the air. And it looked like Donnie. And it was dressed like Donnie. The god put the dummy on his knee, and Donnie opened up his eyes and spoke. Hey, buddy boy. How goes it? What do you think of the razor's bite? You see, pal? like a vampire's bite. You get my drift? You gotta keep passing it on. The sharp things will tell you when. If you don't want to do it, they'll bother you until you do. Or you slice yourself bad enough to come over here on the dark side with me and Mr. Ripper and the others. Well, gotta go back now and join the gang. Be talking with you real soon. I'll be moving into your head. And then he just sort of went limp on the god's knee. And the god took off his hat, and he had this zipper running along the middle of his bald head. Goddamn zipper. He pulled it open. He 
picked up the Donnie dummy, which was real small now, and tossed him into the hole in his head where you toss a treat into a Great Dane's mouth. He zipped up his head again and put on his hat. And then the god and the alley and the legs and the trash cans was gone. And so was the cut of my chest. Healed completely. See? Not even a mark. Look! I got 50 bucks in my pocket here. What do you want? Here's the keys to my car. Please! I left out of there and didn't tell a soul. And Donnie, just like he said, came to live in my head. And the razor started singing to me nights. And come near, and on the full moon, the blades act up, mew, and get inside of me. And then I know what I need to do. I did it tonight. That was some awful fine singing there, Miss Jordan. You know my name? They said it when you went up to do that karaoke. You ought to be singing with a real band. Gotta. I have done some recording. Country songs like that. I made a demo CD. Really? That's great. Well, what's it called? Nothing. It's just a demo. The Jordan Page Demo CD. I love to hear it sometime. I've got one in the truck. I'll go get it. Well, I'll come with you if that's okay. Sure. I guess so. Truck's right over here. I wanted to call my first album Turning the Page, because my name's Jordan Page. <laughs> Gotta now. I sent the demo to a few producers and agents and stuff, but I, I never... Hey. Do it. What's that? Now. <gasps> <gasps> It was the full moon. I knew what to do. Here, I got something to show you. Wait a minute. Okay, he's gone. I gotta call somebody. Who? Joni? That's no good. The police. Okay, the police. What's their number? 911, okay. 911. Uh, maybe if it had rained, I wouldn't have had to do it. But it was clear enough for me to be busy. Don't come any closer. I've called the police. Hello. Hello, my name's Dan Richards, and I'm I here. I brought her head back to join the others. Here, catch. <clears throat> my phone. Oh, God, where's the phone? You don't need to call nobody. Got a razor. Mr. Ripper, Donnie, all of them tell me what I gotta do. That's okay. You don't need to come up. I'll come down. No, look. Let's go up to the car. We'll drive to where there's an ATM. I know where one is. I've got a lot of money. $5,000. I'll give it to you. See, them rats have taken their head already. They'll put it with the others. I can get more. News guys said there were seven of them before. That's just from Donnie. Could be more. Watch Lots it! Lots more. These stairs. Not safe. You said so yourself. Come on. I've been waiting for that cloud to go by. Here's a full moon again. Nice and bright. 
Now we can see where the rats have put them heads. God, stay away. Stay away. For God's sake, stay back. The broken step twisted my ankle and threw me in the cold, foul water that closed over me. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. I didn't know where he was. Thrashing around, I grabbed a railing and managed to find another step so I could keep my head above water. Where are you? Where? You shouldn't thrash so much. Won't do you no good. Although I've never been able to see him clearly, the guy standing on the stairs didn't look the same as before. Now he was huge and he was wearing a tall black hat. He had this big Cheshire cat grin on his face and his teeth were shiny like polished stick pins. His face was black and shiny like a stone. What do you want? He came down a couple more steps and I could see his feet. He had them stuck into mouths of human heads. What the hell is wrong with you? Stay away. Don't come down here. Go away. I know, I, I know. <coughs> Donnie and the God of the Razor says it's time. I jumped back in the water and swam wildly across the basement. I took another stroke and my hand hit something. It was a head with long, blonde hair floating around it and two rats sitting on it. Please! See those rats on that head? They're saluting my little sailors. Stay back! Then the head rose up out of the water. It was sitting on top of a tall black hat with a black obsidian oh, no, face beneath it. Rats! Get away from me! Just go away! Stay still now, Mr. Richards. I got him, Donnie. Don't worry. The god of the razor grabbed him. his shirt. He raised his arm out of the water. The razor in his hand. Ain't this razor a sight? So pretty. Just stay away. Get back! And suddenly, the blade and his shiny teeth stopped shining. No! A cloud covered no. the moon again. <laughs> what? I grabbed at him and pushed him away, and he went on. A moment no. later, he came back up. No hat. I can't no swim. silver teeth. Where's Just the moon? A pasty faced guy with scraggly hair and a panicked look, flailing. The razor still in his hand. He went under it. He didn't come back up. Where? Then something touched my foot, hard, under the water. Oh, that was the razor. I can't believe it. Oh, it hurts. I kicked out and stroked back. The blonde head slapped against my body. I reached towards the stairs and tried to climb over the broken step by pulling on the stair railing. I got a foothold just as the railing came. I frantically grabbed what was left of the stairs and pulled myself up. I got Where myself to the top of the stairs. I don't know how. Oh, come on! Let me out of here! The floating lumber and the heads and the rats bobbed in the dark water below me. There was no sign of the god of the razor. I rolled over on my back and something flashed. Oh, the ivory handle of the razor. It was in pretty deep at the bottom of my shoe. Oh, I bad. knew I'd been cut by that damn razor. This is really bad. I grabbed the ivory handle and pulled the blade out. I was still cold and wet, but I could feel a kind of warm oozing in my shoe. 
gotta get out of here. I made it outside. And then the moon rolled out from behind a cloud like a colorless eye. Suddenly I wasn't thinking anymore. Wasn't feeling. Wasn't hurting anymore. I just stood there looking at this shadow on the lawn. I turned back around and, and looked at the moonlit reflection in the full-length glass on that weathered old door. Standing in that door was an impossibly large man wearing a top hat. He had large balls on his feet, and the moonlight glinted off his silvery teeth, and he held a monstrous razor in his hand. And it was me. Who among us can say that the gods of old are truly dead? Perhaps they lie sleeping somewhere, ready to rise again. Will we be ready for them? I wonder. If they do, I'm sure they won't be too happy with their creators. The ones who have long forgotten them. God of the Razor was written by Joe R. Lansdale and adapted for audio by Jerry Stearns, featuring Kevin Collins, Roger Studi, George Ledoux, and Laurie Ewer. Music by Michael Wheaton. Sound design and direction by Brian Price. I leave you now with a friendly word of advice. The powers of old may not be dead. They may only be a couple of moments away. If they should arise and come knocking on your door, do let them in. They hate to be forgotten or ignored, either where you live or here at the gristmill. And that was God of the Razor, The Chilling Tale of Terror by Joe R. Lansdale. I had the opportunity to talk to Joe about his two latest books, Sanctified and Chicken Fried and Vanilla Ride. So let's welcome Joe back to the show. All right. Um, my guest today is Joe Lansdale, a prolific horror mystery writer and writer of all kinds of genres based in Texas. He has an incredible career, dozens of novels, hundreds of short stories. Um, those short stories include, of course, The God of the Razor, which was so brilliantly adapted by The Gristmill. Um, we had him back in October um, talking to him this year. Now he has a couple new books out, one a novel, Vanilla Ride, the other a collection of short stories, Sanctified and Chicken Fried. And it's uh, those short stories we'll talk most about today. Uh, Joe, welcome back to Radio Drum Revival. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Um, so, so tell us, um, Sanctified and Chicken Fried is an anthology piece. Is it your first anthology of short stories? Oh, no. I've had several, and uh, this, this is probably uh, one of the more interesting ones because it takes a, a wider view of uh, my career. And uh, I'm very fond of it, too. And also, it's a university press, and uh, that's a little more prestigious in ways. But I guess it's probably about my 18th collection. And so tell us, um, for people who aren't quite familiar with all the ins and outs of the publishing industry, um, you said you do have some, you know, 300 plus short stories. Um, one, are all those in print? And then when it comes to taking stories that have been produced in magazines, how, did, how, do, how has the process come to be that um, you pick certain ones out and put them in a collection like this? Well, over the years, you know, I can understand I've been writing for a long time. I, I started selling nonfiction in 73 and fiction in the mid-70s and have been writing fiction ever since, a large part of that, short stories. 
Um, over the years, there have been many short story collections, uh, some of them like uh, By Bizarre Hands and Rider of the Purple Rage and High Cotton, and then recently this one have uh, gotten quite a bit of attention, but there have been quite a few others. Um, I don't really know how many short stories I've written now uh, that really with short fiction and short uh, pieces, which included nonfiction, something like 400 uh, pieces. But uh, over the years, it's just that uh, at some point I would realize I had a large number of stories or some publisher would realize it and say, let's do a collection. And so either I would choose it or he would choose it. In this case, I presented the stories, a large number of stories, to the editor, Stephen Davis, and he chose the stories to go into this collection, and he chose a couple of excerpts from the novels, and I also gave him one brand new story that had never been published anywhere before called Dirt Devils. Oh, and that was that was excellent. That was one of my um, absolute favorite ones here, um, which seems to me is a um, either a short film or maybe an audio play waiting to happen. Well, I hope so. And, and uh, I also, it's maybe a part of a novel, a bigger piece. Uh, that that was kind of what I had planned. Uh, there's one in there, The Big Blow, which, uh, you know, was also there's a novel-length version of it. It was optioned by Ridley Scott. I wrote a screenplay for it and never got made. Bubba Hotep, of course, was filmed. Nearly everything in that collection has been optioned for film at one point. And in some cases, uh, with Bubba Hotep, it's been made. And in other cases, I wrote the screenplay for it. Even Mr. Weed Eater has recently been optioned for film. Interesting. So these are these are stories with a history. What is uh, you said? There's one new one. What apart from that one? What's kind of the the range um, of the age of these stories? Oh well, they uh, I guess probably the mid '80s uh, until now. Excellent. And so there's a wide range of those. Like the excerpt from the Magic Wagon is 1986. The excerpt from A Fine Dark Line would be in the 2000s. Uh, Third Devils would be uh, last year, uh, meaning that I wrote it last year and it appeared this year in the collection, so ultimately it's brand new. Uh, Tight Little Stitches was a 1986, and uh, you know most of them have just sort of started primarily about 1986, though I certainly had stories before that, but they started right around there and moved through the 90s and, of course, within the current of the 2000s. And I guess uh, if if you were to, it's hard to, to give a one thing that makes all these stories similar. But there's, I would say, there's a real, um, there are a lot of tough people, a lot of tough characters in these stories. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. Yes, I do. I, I think I think too, there's an influence of of the East Texas I grew up with, which a lot of these people had to be tough to survive. A lot of them, uh, the, you know, there's there's this whole branch that that is sort of ignorant, tough, and and somehow they've always fascinated me. I, I you know, I don't hate those people at all, but I have a sort of love-hate with them because I certainly don't share a majority of their views, and sometimes just looking at them is sort of like looking at something in a terrarium. Yeah, and I'd be interested to see about that because, you know, for some people, people who might, uh, of of sensibilities may have some difficulty with, you know, uh, racial stereotypes that they might find hard to palate. Uh, with, with language, they may find hard to palate, but you're not scared of that. Yeah, but that. one of the things... Well, no, I'm not scared of that, because one of the things that I'm trying to do is not say, oh, gee, this is what you should do. I've shown, uh, in some cases, some of the funniest and the wildest and the most bizarre things are literal happenings that did happen. And, uh, of course, I've extrapolated it to make a story. But a lot of times, I always consider my stories anti-racist, anti-ignorant, uh, you know, they're... They're there to show you what this stuff is like and to look at the dark side of it, but also to look at this humorously sad side. Humorous only because, like, 
I guess, like fireman's humor or police humor. There's nothing left to do but laugh, or uh, you're just going to cry. But uh, the things are all, I think, somewhat insightful. I like to think that. I think that's one reason that the stories keep surviving and keep being reprinted and, and have gained some literary uh, recognition is that because they aren't just uh, a story with a twist ending and they, you know, they're not just there purely to entertain, though I think that they're highly entertaining. Yeah, and that there's a lot of, a lot of guts with them. Um, if you'd be so kind, Joe, I'd love to hear uh, uh, if you might reading part of um, the Magic Wagon. And do you want to uh, belt, which of course is an excerpt of a longer work. But do you want to sort of set up? Um, we might go for a piece um, about midway through this excerpt, um, where there's a it's the aftermath of the showdown. Yeah, it's it's what's really happening in the piece that I'm I'm, I'm reading is that uh, Billy Bob, who's a wild Bill Hickok fanatic and wants to be just like him, has had his chance to possibly acquire um, something special. I don't want to say what, because I want you to read the excerpt, but he decides to go there and uh, ends up killing uh, one of the men that brought him to this, this cave to show him something special, or this, this, this hidden place to show him something special. And it's his big opportunity now to also prove that he's a gunman. This is in 1909, and this kind of era is almost gone, but he wants to revive it. He wants to keep it. He wants to be a pulp hero. And so he gets his opportunity, and then things go a little awry. And this is all told by uh, Buster, who is a young boy who is traveling with this medicine show, and also present in this scene is Albert, who is the black man who is sort of the overseer of of Billy Bob, who is a very uh, racist and uh, uh, angry man. I mean, it, but you know, he, he almost sees Albert as a kind of grandfather, and it's a uh, it's this peculiar juxtaposition of ideas and things that I make. I think makes this book interesting, and I think makes this excerpt uh, a little humorous and a little dark and and a little different. All right, well, uh, go ahead, Joe. Thank you. Checkers brought over a pocket watch of Darren's and a little bag full of bones, dirt, and beads. Billy Bob put the watch in his inside shirt pocket. Indians are hell for trinkets, he said, but what they need to know time for. He poured what was in the bag into his hands and back into the bag. What's this? His medicine bag, Checker said. Has his powers in it. Did him a lot of good, didn't it? Billy Bob said and tossed it into the fire. He flung the derringer as far as he could to the back of the cave. Horns, good, he said. That ten horns. Billy Bob put the lid on the box and we went out of there, back down to where Albert was, me and Checker staring the box with wild field in it. It was pretty heavy. I didn't tell Albert right then all that happened. I figured he knew a lot of the story from the way I looked at him, and I thought maybe he heard the shot, but later he said he hadn't. With the storm like it was, and us being deep inside the cave, he hadn't heard a thing. We strapped the box on the side of the mule, and Billy Bob took to leading it behind his mouth. Me and Checkers rode behind him, almost side by side, and behind us was Albert. We'd gone a mile or so when the storm got so bad, every little bit of the sky lit up with force of blue-white lightning, and the thunder roared like there was a cannon war going on. About the time all this storm business got built up, Checkers made his play. Maybe he and the Indian had planned such a thing all along and it hadn't gone good. I don't know. Maybe Checkers planned to rob us after we had the body and the Indian's money. That way he could make double. Maybe he hadn't planned nothing at all and was just mad because he hadn't made his share like he thought he should. Doesn't matter now. With Billy Bob in front of him, he had the perfect chance to do to him what Jack McCall had done to Hickok. I seen him go for his gun, and I tried to yell, but with the thunder and lightning like it was, I don't know if Billy Bob could hear me. 
but he did, or maybe he'd just been waiting for Checkers to make his play all along. And then Bob swiveled on his critter, and as he did, I seen the, there was a smile on his face. Like he was about to get a present he'd been waiting a long time for. The way Billy Bob's hand moved was too fast to be real. I figured it was a trick of the lightning or something. One second his hand was on his knee, and the next it was full of pistol, and the pistol was cocked. Oh, he didn't get to kill Checkers. The lightning did it. It was faster even than Billy Bob, and they reached down out of the sky and hit Checkers' little pistol, and there was a sound like a giant whip cracking. Then Checkers and his horse exploded, and I was wearing some of him and some of his suit and some of his horse. Billy Bob, with a wail, threw himself off his horse onto the ground and started pounding his head against the ground, screaming, I had him beat. My first white man, I had him beat. Then he began to cry. I just sort of sat there, dumbfounded, wearing Checkers, his suit, his horse. Finally, I got down off my horse, let him over a piece, got down on my knees, and threw up. When I was able to get it up, I looked over and seen Albert was helping Billy Bob to his feet. Billy Bob was saying over and over, I had him, my first white man. Albert helped Billy Bob over to his horse and put him in the saddle. He patted him on the knee. There's just a whole bunch of white men, Mr. Billy Bob. Don't you fret. There'll be others. I had him, Albert. I had him with fair and square, didn't I? Couldn't have been no fairer spider, Albert said, like he was talking to a little kid. It ain't right. I had him beat. Plum beat, Albert said. By the time Wild Bill was my age, he'd done a lot of his killing already, Billy Bob said. Things were different then, Albert said. Folks was more for killing in them times. Got up with it on their minds. They had more niggers to do their work, and there was lots of free time for shooting folks. I had him, Billy Bob said, shaking his head. I had him. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. And that is a flavor. Uh, of course, there's plenty more to be had. Uh, some 250 or so pages more um, with the Sanctified and Chicken Fried collection of short stories from uh, Texas University of Texas Press. Um, so out of curiosity, you're pretty busy, Joe. Again, you've got a, a new novel out this year. Are you still uh, producing short stories on a, on a regular basis or from time to time? I am, yes. I, I am doing that. I also have several that I have promised to do this year and next, and as well as some novellas and as well as a new novel. I've sold a young adult novel to Delacorte. So, uh, and some doing some screen work. So I'm a busy guy, yeah. Um, so you, you also have another book, speaking of being busy, um, a Happen Leonard book, uh, first in a few years, if I understand, um, Vanilla Ride. Um, looks like it's getting some pretty good reviews. Um, you're on book tour with it. You want to say a quick word about that novel? Yeah, it's getting some awesome reviews. The Happen Leonard series, uh, probably my most popular work. Uh, I've written uh, seven in the series now, and there's an eighth one forthcoming. But the one currently, Vanilla Ride, is the first one in eight years about them. And uh, people seem to be going really crazy for it, and, and I'm really happy about that. Uh, and it, it's it's a series also that's been optioned for film numerous times, and but it, so it may well eventually be a film. And there will eventually be more books in the series. And uh, I enjoy writing about those guys. Every time I, I do, it's just like going home again, and that they just hand me the story. Excellent, excellent. That's um, so much fun. And you, you know, you, you've talked about how um, a lot of your things are being picked up for films. Um, you've you've written some things that even become stage plays. We have had an audio drama presentation. Do you have? Um, are, is anything lined up to become an audio book? And do you want to talk a little bit about the? the... I've done a bunch of audio. Yeah, actually, uh, I didn't do the readings. I I did a reading on one Sunset and Sawdust, the abridged edition, a few years back for Random House. Uh, but Bring It's Audio just did all the half and letter books. And the reader, I feel, uh, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Giganti, I think, or something like that. He is terrific. He does a wonderful job. And uh, uh, Leather Maiden was also done by the uh, a Texas uh, 
radio, uh, I mean, uh, audio book company. So a lot of my stuff has been in audio. At the, the Bottoms was in audio years ago, A Fine Dark Line, which won an award for the reader, Dick Hill. Uh, so a lot of my stuff has been in audio, and I, I, I expect a whole lot more forthcoming. And uh, I'm hoping to have radio shows. I mean, I, I love radio shows, and I would love to uh, have some more of those adapted. I sure like the God of the Razor that was done. I thought I was very pleased with that. Excellent. Yeah, and it's just it's, it's interesting to see how your stories aren't, you know, penned in, you know, it may be a novel, but then it can change forms. It can become an audio piece or it can become adapted for films. So it seems it's an attraction. Well, you know, I, I think that the part, the reason for that is that I love all these different mediums. And I'm a radio show collector, and I just love radio shows. And when I was growing up, radio shows were pretty much dead, but there were still a few on. I was born in 51, and there were a few. And I remember my mother listening to the radio, and uh, uh, The Shadow was still on in suspense. And I, I don't know if I actually heard those or not, but I think I did, because I certainly had a lot of knowledge about them before uh, anyone ever explained to me about them. So I think I think I had probably heard some of those shows when I was little. And uh, then later on, uh, when I got the opportunity to hear radio shows, I, I loved them. And then when they started being available, I started uh, buying tapes of them, because there were tapes then, and then, uh, then the little uh, uh, audio uh, cassettes, and then, of course, now they're all my audio cassettes are now dating, and I don't have any way to, uh, uh, you know, play a lot of them. But I'm going to replenish them with the uh, newer medium. I love radio shows, and I think they taught me how to how to make pictures in a person's mind. And I believe that that's probably one of the larger strengths that I have. That and storytelling that I heard from my parents and from relatives sitting under a tree. Those two things, plus being an avid reader and a lover of film and and uh, comic books. And comic books, I guess, would probably be the most important influence early on than anything. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's more about stories than one medium for you. Absolutely. The story is the thing, but it does matter who tells the story. Mm-hmm. Because some people can't tell a story. It's the voice. Yeah. It's the way it sounds. It's the pictures it paints. And that's one thing that that radio did very, very well. You had to have somebody who had a voice to listen to. And when I write, I try to have a voice that you can read, that you can hear in your head, that doesn't just tell you the story, but sort of caresses you and massages you with the story. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine that um, that's a challenge for the people who choose to adapt your work, because then they have to you know, get, you know, because you, you have such a strong voice on the page and to translate that into another medium, um, you know, between the setting and and the sense of, uh, you know, imagination, it, it might, might not, you know, takes work. Because I think that in some ways my work lends itself to all kinds of forms, the comic books, uh, film, radio, and all those things. But it, it's the sort of thing that when you read, you go, oh, they make a great radio show, or oh, they make a great time, or oh, they make a great film. But then when you get into breaking down the voice and and the dialogue and, and some of the things that are uh, visualized, it, it brings about special challenges, but it also brings about, I think, special rewards when it's adapted. I'm, I'm very fond of seeing the work in different forms. Um, so, Joe, you've got the uh, new books out. Um, you're you're going on tour. What what else is uh, what else you have going on? Do you, um, you you must be working on at least another new project at the moment. I'm working on a screenplay right now that we're trying to do uh, with Bill Paxton directing. It's based on my novel The Bottoms. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, I've finished it actually, and all I have to do is do some proofing and then probably a polish. 
And uh, after that, I have a new Happen Leonard book to finish, and I have a couple of short stories to write. So I'm pretty, and then a young adult novel to to have finished by the middle of next year. So I'm I'm busy. Awesome. Well, Joe, uh, thanks so much for uh, being on again. Um, I would love love to see if someone uh, runs with the audio uh, plays uh, translations of this. Like I said, Dirt Devils is 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 perfect. I mean that that just. You know that's a movie sitting there um, already, and I love to see where that goes and, and some of the other stories in this. They're just just gems. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you taking your time. All right, thanks so much, Joe, and uh, talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. And that was writer Joe R. Lansdale, who amazes me in the praises he sings for speculative audio drama and, of course, his um, amazing uh, amount of work and diversity of work and quality of work he's put out over the years. Great. Great stuff. You can find more about Joe on his website, joerlansdale.com. And of course, you can find more books at Amazon, Borders, Barnes & Noble, or your local independent bookseller, anywhere that dark novels are to be found. Um, next week, we'll have a change in shift again. We talk to audio legend Eric Bowersfeld, a radio dramatist since the 1960s, a mentor to Tom Lopez, and a producer, an actor who's had the opportunity to work with amazing people like Randy Tom and his longtime collaborator, collaborator Jim McKee. It is an interview not to be missed, talking about um, a, a multi-generational um, audio drama career, um, keeping independently funded during some tough economic times, and just some really brilliant productions he put together over the years. Um, do check that out next week. Um, in the meantime, though, you can hear more by checking out the blog, radiodramarevival.com. You'll, of course, find a link to subscribe to the podcast, archives of previous episodes, uh, reviews, the In-Depth Malleus series by Chris Duker, my own weekly column, Fred's Fuse. And while you're there, why not join the conversation? You can leave a comment on the blog. You can also find us on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by me, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains to their individual producers, but please share this show as much as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's community radio station. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love by yours truly. And until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.